Welcome to Art Openings, the podcast where there are no gatekeepers, no stupid questions, and art for all. Hosted by Samantha Sanders and Courtney Jordan and sponsored by Artist Network. Money makes the world go round, or at least money doesn't hurt, especially if you're an artist. In this edition of Art Openings, we are talking money all month, releasing episodes every week covering who's making money in the art world, how to price your art, art for rent, and answering your burning questions as well as some of our own about the almighty dollar. In today's episode, we try to track down who's really making the money, artistically speaking, and arm you with the insights so that if you are a working artist, you can be one of them, or at least know who to curse or totally rip off if you're into that. First, I want to get into the art market as a whole. It's good to understand the landscape of it, even if it's as relevant to you as like the GDP or the federal debt, because it's a bit of insight about how and where the art money is moving. First thing to consider, and I didn't actually know this when I was starting my research, in 2015 and 2016, the global art market was actually down. 2017 was up for dealers and auction sales, but those gains were again at the very top of the market and not the reality for most of us. The three top markets, can you guess, Sam? Um, you mean like geographically? Mm-hmm. Oh, New York. Um, think on country level. Oh, you're like, is that easier or harder? I'll I know it's harder. <laughs> so, uh, uh, okay, uh, the United States, China. Uh, uh, two out of three, not bad. Okay, wait, I, no, um, <laughs> France, UK. But so yes, top three markets: the U.S., China, and UK made up a total of eighty. 80- of sales in 2017 for art. That money is not, however, being made in new galleries. Galleries that are opening have actually declined over the last decade. 87%, if you can believe it, and New Yorkers, I don't think you can because it feels like every other day a new gallery is cropping up, but 87% less galleries exist in 2017 than they did in 2007. They all became banks. <laughs> um, art fairs. Art fairs account for 46% of dealer sales. But I don't know if, if anyone's... I geek out on this stuff. If you look into art fair drama, statistically of late, the cost to participate has risen significantly. And a lot of dealers and galleries are expressing dissatisfaction with the fair paradigm they feel like the only people to profit are the richest galleries and that there's mismanagement embezzlement and fraud those are some of the latest scandals that have come through art fairs and go figure because it's a lot of money sort of coming and going through those places um and there was at one point a sense of with gallerists oh you do art fairs because that's just what you do but a lot of galleries are are sort of getting wise to maybe that not working for them Online sales, that is up 72% over the past five years, which is really great if you're doing it on your own. It was up 10% last year alone. So when you say online sales, does that encompass people selling their work on Instagram? Does that... Yes. Or is that, are you talking the big players? This, I mean, the studies that I was looking into mostly took into took into consideration the the how do I say this, the second market, like mm-hmm. when you're, but it does take into consideration people who are doing it on their own. Yes. Um, 45% of new business to dealers came online, uh, which again, doesn't 
take even into account the money that the hustler's doing on their own for. But for dealers, yeah, like almost half of their new prospects came from online. But bear in mind, $5,000 is still the ceiling for online sales. So who's selling? First of all, the superstars. The high end of the market is where a lot of the money is moving. Name names. Leonardo? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the superstars. The, you know, unearthed Leonardo kind of thing was what I was going to say. A hundred million dollar price tags is what I was sort of leading to. So that's one. And that's sort of, unfortunately, the biggest amount, like, the most money is happening Mm -hmm. in that area. Then I want to talk about Art schools. If you went to art school, are you selling or not? If you're making it to the secondary market, it means you really sort of have, quote unquote, made it as an artist. Your work is at open auction. It's being resold. And presumably it's increasing in value. If we think that that hypothetically means who's doing the best out there, then there are some connections that we can or some conclusions that we can draw. First, so the question is, should you go to art school? I looked into an Artnet financial report of auction sales. Um, It had around 5,000 participating dealers. And of those, 50% of art school grads made it to the secondary market. 35% didn't have a degree or began school but didn't finish. And 12% just straight up were self-taught. Now, at first, when I read the first number, I was like, oh, man, that's not really good for those of us who are sort of DIYers or, you know, breaking into it on our own or maybe late as a second career. But when you put those other two numbers together, that's 47%. So you've got half, you know, just as much chance as not. But a substantial portion of those without degrees were street artists who came up in a completely different way um, than, let's say, a studio painter or a painter specializing in the art of the West, which is a very moneyed sort of Mm -hmm. mm, mm, Mm -hmm. ecosystem, and as well as celebrity artists who sort of were known elsewhere before they got into art. I'm just saying those... (laughs) Yes, those are the numbers that are going to skew those. But if if you do go to art school I feel so crappy saying this if you go to art school you have you go to Yale 10% of successful artists according to this study who made it to auction came from Yale who were famous people who went to Yale Courtney uh I don't want to be put on the spot like that but I'm sure like I could probably fish in a barrel it um (laughs) honestly but the top five art schools from 2016 account for 44% of the top 500 most successful artists at auction. Those schools are... RISD? No, but they're on that list. (laughs) Yes, Yale. Uh, uh, UCLA. uh, Columbia. Columbia. You're not going to get these two last two, I don't think. No offense to the schools or you. (laughs) SAIC in Chicago and the Art Center out of Pasadena. And 75% of successful artists came from the top 20 schools. I'm not going to read that list, but you get what I'm saying. The higher up in that that list you are, the more chance of success you have in that secondary market. I went to Washington State University. Is that in the top 20? Clearly, I'm sure it is. Hands down, I know you're probably, you're on the, you're just, you just haven't hit yet. Um, Okay, so the conclusions about the art school study. Overall, from what I found, if you 
got a top BFA, you can probably leverage that into getting a top MFA. And that puts you in the best possible position for market success statistically. But if that isn't an option or you're just not interested, you can and are just as likely to make your own success. And you won't have staggering school debt. I mean, (laughs) that was a major plus for me. Um, The schools are about the connections. If you can get in and that's your thing, great. If not, there is still a wedge of success pie that can be yours. (laughs) When we come back, we'll talk about why it's really good to be a dude or dead or maybe both if you're an artist. Success pie. (laughs) Artist Network is proud to present its first international art retreat this spring in Tuscany. Limited to just 20 attendees, this art pilgrimage takes place September 16th through the 21st at Spinocchia, an 1,100-acre working farm and artist retreat nestled in the hills outside of Florence. Watercolor artist and instructor Thomas Schaller will guide you through a series of daily workshops designed to deepen your skill set and heighten your awareness, all amid the beauty of Italy. Find out more and register at artistnetwork.com under the events tab. Who else is making the money? We're back. Picking up where we <laughs> left off. Superstars sell. Yaley's sell. But self-taught artists and artists who didn't go to art school still have a pretty decent chance, too. But who else? Oh, Dudes. I, I, dudes, Sam. Dudes. Men. Men. Men on the East Coast. Guys, yes. <laughs> According to an Artnet and Maastricht University survey published last year, the top artist making it is a dude... Shall you? I, I'm quizzing you all. Can you give me a hint? Is he living? No. No. Oh. I don't know. Okay, Picasso. He sold $6.2 billion Ugh. worth of art over the last 17 years. Number two, Andy Warhol. $4.9 billion. But here's, here's the real kick. Both of them individually sold more art than every single female artist uh-huh. in the database that was consulted for the survey, which was a total of 5,612 women. Bleak. Yes, ladies, absorb it. It is real. Um, Shout out to my friend who has an Instagram page where she disguises herself as a man to yeah, sell her right? art. Like Get it's it. 19th century again. Use it against them. In a positive way, dudes. Nobody's trying to hate on you, but come on. The top five male artists, just for those of us who wanted to know, Picasso, Warhol, Gerhard Richter, Monet, and then Francis Bacon. This is just I know. Only one of them is living, which will later come into play as we talk about the death effect. Mm. Ooh. Okay. But, ladies... You are not out of the game by any means, but unfortunately you are playing it at a way lower price point. Female artists are making way less dollars. It is true. Just 143 female artists, or 2.6% of them, were responsible for 91% of all sales of work sold at auction from from 2000 to 2017, according to the survey. So it's a way narrower pool or a way smaller pool. But the dollars that they're making in and of themselves that the top-selling female artists are making, it's not insignificant. Um, the study's authors identified Joan Mitchell as the most expensive huh. female artist, with total sales clocking in at $390 million between 2000 and 2017. And actually, 
I was just reading something the other day. Art Basel just took place, and another Mitchell was sold there for $14 million, and in the month prior to that, a $16.6 million piece sold at auction. So those numbers are going up for her. Number two, Georgia O'Keeffe. She comes in second with $247.2 million. But here's the thing. Mitchell only came in 47th on the list of all best-selling artists. So we know where we sort of hit. Top women artists, Joan Mitchell, Georgia O'Keeffe, Louise Bourgeois, Cindy Sherman, and Barbara Hepworth. Again, of those, only one is living. And you can get on her Instagram page now. <laughs> yes, you totally can. She made it public. She's, yes, she's on a, she's on a tear. Um, and here's something that's strange, but just something I thought worth considering if you are looking at collectors and prospective dollars. The study also found people, particularly affluent males, tend to rate work by women lower than work by men. So huh. looking to collectors who aren't men, mm. Mm. We'll leave it at, mm. hmm. So who's, uh, uh, who else is making it? The dead, generally speaking. Distasteful, perhaps, but true. Prices spike after an artist dies. It's actually got a name, the death effect. And it's broadly thought of as prices in general rising after an artist's death. It's specifically traced to three things. First, a steady average increase in price in the five years leading to an artist's death. Don't ask me how they predict that. Cools. Right? <laughs> a sharp drop in the year after death. And then a steady increase in price from there on out. It tends to happen to artists who die around 70. And it doesn't really happen for our young artists or artists who die unexpectedly. And same with artists who die way old, like in their hundreds. So why the death effect? Because after death, the supply is fixed. There is no more production. <laughs> Demand will, from there on, always outpace supply. But what's kind of fun or twisted is that artists can mimic the death effect in their own careers. Uh -huh. <laughs> they can change up their styles, which limits a given output in a period of his or her career and sort of prevents overproduction. Or, and here's the kicker, because Picasso, as we know, is our most, you know, our best-selling artist, set up your own museum. It's, yes, the stuff of dreams, but still, that means a bulk of work will not make it to market because it's owned and secured in an institution. Mm. Um, so highly recognized artists often do this. They set up museums in their lifetime, as Pablo Picasso did, and that assures buyers that a substantial portion of their output will always be removed from the market. So, and back to the ladies, because I do want to leave it on sort of like a silver lining. Late career female artists are being discovered, and I use that term sarcastically, because, of course, they've been doing it all along, um, maybe not at the center of the art world, but certainly in the thick of their careers. And they're getting more and more credit for it. Artist Sue Williamson was born in 1941, and she's been exhibiting since the 1980s, says that only in the last three years she's had real momentum building up in her career, private collectors showing more interest. And she says... Women in later life often push aside their anxieties about satisfying the market and competing with their male colleagues for attention and just make work which pleases themselves first and foremost. 
That fearless work, born out of their years of experience, can be extraordinary. Critics often see then that the earlier work was also very strong. They just hadn't noticed it at the time. So, again, the demand for older female artists who've maybe not been given attention up till now is definitely happening in institutions. Museums are pushing to address gaps in their collection and imbalances in their programming. So... Definitely keep hope alive if you're a a female artist and also acknowledge that women are taking more and more positions of power in institutions or as collectors. So don't uh, don't underestimate them in the game as peers that may be an, an asset to you as an artist. And then please bear in mind that public art, non-object-oriented art, and community-based art or nonprofit art is way less easy to quantify. So it's hard to say how and where and what specifically you'll be making in terms of payment. Final thoughts. A new study by Amy Whitaker, an assistant professor in visual arts management at New York University, and Roman Krausel, a professor of finance at the University of Luxembourg, finds that artists who retain fractional equity, as little as 10% in their work, could be better off than if they had invested in the stock market. What's fractional equity? Hmm. So, this study is based on two very successful modern artists, Robert Rauschenberg, Jasper Johns. In their early careers, Leo Castelli, famous gallerist, sold their works. If those guys had just made the agreement to hold 10% of whatever the works would be worth as they sold over time, one of them would have made $500,000 more than they did and the other $1.5 million just for 10% equity. So this is something that could reasonably occur right now more and more with blockchain technology. So you no longer, as an artist, have to think that you charge one price and you can never see the profits again for those works. You can change the conversation. Technology is allowing you to do that. So when you contract, let's say, with a gallerist or maybe even a collector, yes, it's going to be complicated, but it might become more and more easy. And technology is changing. So change with it, artists. It could be your next payday. Stats and data pulled from a variety of education and media sources, including a report from earlier this year on the glass ceiling of the art market that was published by Artnet News, and a scholarly paper from Northeastern University on artists' careers and their labor markets, as well as others mentioned specifically in the episode. Art Openings is brought to you by Artist Network and is recorded at Banana Peel Studios in Brooklyn, New York. This podcast is produced by Courtney Jordan and Samantha Sanders with audio production by Chris Weingarten. Thanks for listening and be sure to rate us on iTunes. 